You're listening to the ABC Music Talk podcast, a show for those interested in the music industry. This is the first episode of a three-part mini-series, which was taken from an interview I did with my friend and colleague Delante Murphy. The whole interview runs for nearly an hour and a half, and I wanted my listeners to listen to the whole thing. So, to make it easier, I've broken it up into sections. Now, this first episode tells his origin story, how he meets some of the most influential people in hip-hop, including the person that has made it possible for Delante and I to work together. But no spoilers. Sit back and listen to this incredible story. You're listening to the ABC Music Talk podcast, a show for those interested in the music industry. This episode takes a look at the discipline that is A&R, or as I like to refer to it, witchcraft. But first, a reminder to go Rota your videos. Rota is for artists, managers, labels, or anyone in the music industry who needs to create video content for promotion or monetization. Rota makes it fast, easy, and inexpensive to do all of that in one place. Head to www.abcmusic.co and click the Rota logo on the homepage to access a 10% off discount for the service. So A&R, artists and repertoire. For a record company, it's where it all begins. My guest this week is my go-to example when I talk to people about what a great creative A&R person should be. I've also been fortunate enough to work with him on a project recently, and he absolutely nailed it. So welcome to the show, A&R manager at Empire, Delante Murphy. Ah, oh, thank you, Alex. Thank you. You're far too kind. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, you are. I mean, literally, I when I when I sort of describe kind of, you know, what I've been learning at, at Empire to people, you know, this is, uh, you know, all the stuff that I spent when I spent time with you is, is absolutely kind of one of my big stories. So uh, it's good. So in fact, speaking of storytelling, I'd like to kick this off with your story, because I remember a moment where you and I were in the uh, Empire studio in San Francisco. I think it was when it was first sort of operational we had a, an A&R day with uh, people like Sky Tunes and King Coombs and Sui Generous yeah. come by and yes. there was a moment where we were all, you and I were sitting with a few others in in the library area and you and you told us your story uh, you know with Trey Songs and all the rest of it so can you give us your background and you know kind of how you got to where you are at the moment wow um short story uh, I was just a kid that always loved music simple put myself in anything musical from you know we all played instruments you know in grammar elementary school um, play trumpet, mess around with piano, anything that could get me into music. So I was in a local rap group in the Washington, D.C. area of the States. And when it got to high school, they had a performing arts high school. So I can't sing. Let me just say that. I don't believe I can sing. I'm a pretty decent <laughs> I'm not, songwriter. I'm not sure that's true. I think you can. <laughs> a pretty decent songwriter and, um, and, uh, and producer at that point. And probably doing management or A&R then, but didn't have no idea what it was called, you know, working with other groups and stuff like that. But anyway, I wanted to get a free education in music, so I simply just went to a, uh, it was a new performing arts program. I went to the vocal uh, audition and I was horrible, but I did. I understood that what was going on in that area at the time is that they was trying to desegregate certain areas or kind of take different races and different ethnicities and put them in different schools. So they created these special schools in these certain neighborhoods to mix it up. Great. Well, performing arts was not too far from me and uh, I auditioned and I was horrible. And the lady said, it's your funeral. I said, well, listen, you created this program. I want in and I want to learn everything that I can learn about being a artist or a music producer. But it was vocal. So what did I end up having to sing as this middle class urban guy? Imagine a Fresh Prince of Bel-Air type of guy uh, singing <laughs> opera. 
I'm like, never okay. going to look at you in the same way right. now. Right. <laughs> you want to be here, you're going to sing opera. You're going to say, you're going to do Gregoria Chase. You're going to do uh, show twos. You're going to do Sweeney Todd. You're going to do just all these different things. And you're going to learn theory and you're going to learn um, all type of stuff. So what was really cool, Alex, about that was it was hard. Um, I was the least talented in the room. And these people were phenomenal singers. And of course, you had the dance area and people, the artists. I mean, I was just happy to be there. But those musical experience I learned from singing opera and understanding uh, Gregorian chant and understanding um, certain show tools and just all these different arrangements, uh, Negro spirituals of America and the arrangements and what they really meant, just all this education and, and uh, all this stuff. I ended up going to Europe at 14 to sing for the French Bicentennial in 1989. So I'm a 14 or 13 or 14 year old kid with a tuxedo on singing in um, London, Paris, Switzerland. And that was my first time on a plane. So just to say that we'll come back to that later. But the cool part about that, when you asked me what got me where I was, it's funny how life is like the alchemist, right? And here's something I was trying to get this free education from my school system in my area and boy, would everything I just tell you add up to uh, where I'm at today. That 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 really weird thing that happened. Because really, I just wanted to sing or rap. I mean, you know, rap, sing, kind of the hip-hop thing that was going on and wanted to be in that life. So uh, long story short, um, I ended up going from graduating from there, uh, how I did in the performing arts part. I did. I did different songs. I was horrible, Alex. But... I was I probably was the one who appreciated it more than anybody who was sitting there. And what's funny is my teacher, um, I heard that she had passed uh, some time ago, uh, probably the most influential person in my life musically, I would say, that I can touch. She she would say to this class, this guy here, even though he's not the, the, the uh, as talented as the rest of you, you will be reading about this guy and you will be seeing records on his wall later in life. And I used to be like me because, you know, these other guys are phenomenal. So um, so that kind of set me up to go forth. Oh, let me go back to that, too. And I think this is important for listeners because it, it really shows the foundation of how it all came together. So there was a band that we had at Performing Arts, which was called Malaika, which in Swahili means angel. And my teacher was a white woman teaching in a predominantly black uh, area in a school. And um, she created this band, which I thought was cool. So if you were, if you were in choir and you were singing opera and doing all the other stuff, you got a chance to audition for this band that was like a top 40 pop band that practiced after school. And then, you know, we were doing anything that was pop. Lionel Richie, Madonna, uh, Janet Jackson, do it, whatever, right? All these records. So I got a chance to learn all the basic school, uh, music school stuff that you probably would learn in any music conservatory or music program. But then I had the after school program where I literally was in a band that was set up to show kids how to actually be in an actual R&B, rock, pop band. I mean, everything from how to take the equipment down, strike, putting the show, lighting, everything, right? So I ended up going to a university, and I only went to I, this university I went to 
was simply Teddy Riley. So I don't know if you guys saw the verses between Teddy and Babyface, which was a phenomenal battle and classic for Instagram. They broke Instagram. So I used to work for Teddy Riley. When I went to when I when I wanted to pick the university and I had all these great universities from the West Coast and the States to all over the place, a friend of mine came in and she was um and this is the alchemist story again. It was a friend of mine, I liked her, she was a cheerleader, she was crying, and I said, What's wrong? She said, I can't go to Hampton University because I didn't get in. I know her grades were better than mine. She was a cheerleader, she was all around a great person. So I'm like, man, crazy. So me being a competitive guy, I just went and filled out an application and sent it in. When I sent in that application on a Friday, Saturday, I'm taking out the trash, which was one of my chores. I'm sitting there eating a bowl of cereal at about nine o'clock in the morning. And this show comes on TV and says, Teddy Riley just moved to Virginia, the state of Virginia in the States, uh, Virginia Beach. And, da, 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 da. and I'm like, wow, that's pretty cool. And he was the biggest producer then. We're talking right past Michael Jackson. Remember the time, Rump Shaker by Rex and Effect was huge. And matter of fact, that's the footage I remember is him being on his yacht with these girls, right? So I was like, wow. And I said, I said, hey, Ma, how far is Virginia Beach from Hampton, Virginia, which is where Hampton University is? She said, I think like 20, I haven't been here in years, I think it's like 25 minutes. I said, okay, thank you. So I got an acceptance letter two weeks later, and I told my mother, I'm going to Hampton. I've never went, I never researched the school, I never went to the school. I just knew Teddy Riley was 20 minutes down the street from the university, theoretically, right? So, uh, so I go and it was one of the best decisions of my life because I ended up, ended up when I left Hampton, not only did I have my own music company that I had a recording studio. When I graduated, I walked across the street to my own office and a recording studio and artists and had a hit record that had Case, uh, my company, my, my college company I formed did Happily Ever After for Case. Uh, we worked on it. And, and how, how old were you, how old were you at that time? 21. Maybe. Oh wow, nice. Twenty one, but yeah. in those four years of college, I ended up meeting Teddy Riley. You know, just kind of that thinking positive thoughts. I ran into him. I kept pitching. Eventually, me and a, uh, my college buddy went down there, went to his studio, which was huge. It was called Future. It's like oh, like I've never seen such a place. And um, we ended up going, and he hired me as an A and R. So wow. I worked as A and R for him for a while, and then um, eventually. He was like, man, you're a great A&R, but he was like, for your career, he was like Jimmy Iovine or anybody who comes to Teddy Riley's Future Records or Little Man, whatever it was called at the time. He was like, I'm really the A&R, the producer, so I don't, I think you're very talented. So he's like, look, you know, you got your own company, you throw the biggest parties uh, in the area. I, I had huge parties, like huge, made a lot of money doing that. That's how I built my studio. And, and paid my cool. way through college. So he was like, yo, why don't you be uh, used to intern for Def Jam, which I did, under Kevin Lyles. That's another story. That was my freshman year, freshman and sophomore year. He was like, why don't you just become VP of marketing and promotion? I'm like, wow, so you're going to make me the VP of marketing and promotion of your record label. I was like, sure, I'll do it. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> I'm like, I'm in college driving like a rover around. Like, it was just ridiculous. But I ended up marketing Black Streets, another, another level album, right, which had no dignity. And then I ended up working very closely with Queen Pin, which spawned her hit Party Ain't a Party. And I got a chance to meet Jimmy Iovine in college and Eminem when he introduced me on the couch as Mar- Marshall. He didn't know what to do with him. And then he said, hey, here's another guy. He had dreads. And he's like, I don't know what to do with this group either. And he's saying, meet Will. And I'm like, Will, who is Will I am? So uh, wow. this is before they blew up. So imagine I'm just a young kid, you know, like in college, sitting there. And I'm seeing Marshall get up on the... He's sleeping outside of Jimmy Iovine's door. 
right? Because Jimmy had signed him but didn't know exactly what he was going to do with him. And I, I mean, I think that's around the time where he kind of really pushed it all together with Dr. Dre. I was trying to figure it out. And Will I Am was just this creative guy. And this is pre-Fergie. So this is before the hits, right? And he was like, and Jimmy said, man, I love Jimmy I mean, by the way. Shout out to him. He's like, I don't know what to do with Will I Am. I mean, he got these Indian guys and this black guy. But the music is, I believe in him more than I believe in everything else. I don't know what to do. So it's funny that it, it, he, he stuck with it and Fergie got in and it became this huge thing. And, and, and Will became who he was. So that's pretty much kind of what got me. That's kind of what got me to the point where I, I want to say that was A&R training in a sense. So that's why I wanted to share that. I know that's all long-winded, but I no, wanted no, to show brilliant. that alchemist story of, you know, how did I end up at this high school, which I shouldn't have really been admitted to. And any other good school would have never took me because I, I just was below the talent level. But... You know, how do you get to this college because this girl that you kind of had a crush on or was fond of didn't get in and you decide to put in this application that leave? How does it take? I really believe that the universe is talking to all of us at all times. And if we're tapped in, it's constantly telling us what to do. And it's the people who kind of tap into it who can say, I'm supposed to do this today, and this is how they meet this person. So, and that's kind of what led me here. So, a long story short, of course, it goes to after graduation and, and having a hit record while in college. Um, there's another backstory in there, but I'm not going to go back. I did get offered a label deal from Shug Knight. I posted that on Instagram, and that was like my junior wow. year. That was good. Oh. But yeah, so I met him during the two, I think, 96 before Tupac died, and that's a whole nother thing. So that was pretty exciting. We'll go down in another day. But um, yeah, that was pretty cool. So that my life was just, I've just been blessed to have been able to put myself in these situations to get here. So after college, I went to New York struggling. I had, I was a big fish in a small pond in Virginia. I went up to New York and I left my office and my staff down there. And um, being their leader, I think it kind of started to fall apart because I wasn't there to motivate them or give them direction in their face. So while I'm trying to figure out my next level after getting this piece of paper and they're there saying, what is the fearless leader doing? I'm sitting up, you know, taking all my money, sending it back to them, whatever we can make. And I'm trying to get placements for our music producers and writers. Uh, I did land a song on a Nutty Professor soundtrack, which was pretty dope. And that was a big payday. And then um, in that search, I ended up walking into this session and the session was there was a manager and he said, he was from D.C. And he's like, man, I, I like you, man. You know, you from D.C., you hustling. Come by the session. I was like, well, who are you managing? He said, well, I'm managing Genuine, right? And I was like, man, you know, I'm tired from work. Once again, the alchemist. Some said, well, let me go. This is New York City. I'm tired. So I go by the session late at night after working all day. Some job I had. Probably was Foot Locker or uh, <laughs> something like that. And then um, I go there and Jonte Austin, a young Jonte Austin is there. He was on one of the versus battles, too, against Neo. There's Brian Michael Cox. There's uh, Jerry, the manager of Genuine and Genuine. And then while I'm sitting there kicking it with them, being quiet, just learning, shutting up and just watching what's going on and spoken when spoken to, this guy comes in and he says he's a little guy, kind of little guy, kind of talkative, kind of happy. And I was like, whatever. So he was like, hey, nice to meet you. What's your name? And I said, well, I'm Delonte. I said, what's your name? He said, well, my name is Troy Taylor. And I said, oh, okay, cool. I met you once. I think the song on Nutty Professor 2, I had tried to shop the song to you guys at Character Music. 
But he's like, I'm not with character no more. And I was like, great. And I was like, he said, what do you do? And me kind of reluctantly was like, this is exactly what it got. I was like, I'm a manager. He was like, manager like what? I said, I'm a manager of talent, of great things. And he was like, well, great. I need a manager. Literally, this is how it happened. No, no. Literally, this is how it happened. He said, okay, great, man. Well, come by my house and come see me. So I drove out to Jersey. He was in this house and it was very cold in the house. And him and his wife was going through issues. So out of nowhere, while he's sitting there, and this is a guy who had a huge studio. I'm talking huge SSL boys. And when he separated from his partner, his partner kept all of that. So I'm in this guy who's worked with Boys to Men, Color Be Bad. Uh, I mean, you know, just SWB. He was a pretty well-known guy. I'm in his house, and he's in his basement. And all he has is like some D88 uh, old, the little, you know, multi, eight track, multi thing. I think he had like one or two. Yeah. I think he had 24 tracks. He might have had three. I think they gave him that, right? Like, yeah, you'll never make it without me. Take these D88s. We got real, you know, whatever, right? So, and they had Pro Tools. So he had that and, um, I think, uh, MPC and some other stuff. He hadn't got his laptop and Pro Tools yet. And while he was sitting there, I had brought him this record to work on for some, J Records had just started and I had a connection there. And out of nowhere, he prayed and stopped and said, you're my manager. And I was like, really? He's like, yeah. I was like, me? I mean, you know, I'm, you know, I'm working at Foot Locker. I mean, you know, he's like, yeah, but God just told me it was you. So get ready. Wow. What does that lead to? That leads to literally in the next six months working with Whitney Houston. <laughs> um... I mean, just numerous of these big people, and I'm in the studio, and I'm like, wow, like, I'm, I'm, I'm in the mix now, you know, that moment you pitch yourself, and you're like, okay, I'm a manager, and I'm doing invoices, and I'm negotiating for this, this producer who was really trying to prove a point to his partner that he was the musical one, he was the genius, so in the midst of that, the guy comes over to me and says... I want you to, I don't want to deal with any artists right now because it's about me, but I think this kid is special. He was signed to the company I was a part of, and that's how I know him. He just got out his deal, and um, the only way I'm going to do it is if you manage him. I know you manage me, but I think it's the right thing to do. And I said, what's his name? His name is Trey. And I go, Trey what? He was like, I haven't named him yet, but Trey. His name is Trey. So this begins me meeting Trey Songs from this wow. guy. That is how that connected. And that's how I ended up managing Trey. So if this is the Alchemist story, um, and I got a chance from six months after meeting Trey, I got him, a, I had him a, a bidding war with several labels. DreamWorks, Atlantic, Warner, Arista, I think LA Reeves over the time. That just became this amazing run as a manager and, and learning the business and really getting a chance to develop something from the ground up, you know. So getting it and, and it, and it was a different place then because Atlantic Records, Julie Greenwall, Mike Karen, Craig, Kaiser, Mo, Mo, Mo Landy, who works with us, how I know Mo, Ronnie Johnson, those guys taught back then they really did kind of raise young managers. They didn't look down on it. They was like, you know, you're potential, you're smart. So they were kind of whatever wasn't outside of my instinct or connection, they would kind of show me what I need to do or what I should or say, go in that direction and figure that out. And, you know, got a chance to grow. Me, uh, T.I.'s manager, Jason, there was a couple of young managers running around and we became these these powerful managers because they kind of work with us. They work with us to grow us, you know, in the midst of the battle. And that's kind of what brought on all the other acts I started managing. And, and that's what brought me into the A&R world. So to cut this part 
to the end. Sorry, folks. I know it was long. When I stopped managing Trey and I had managed K. Michelle and a couple of others, when it was over, me and Atlantic sat down and they were like, man, we, we are clear that you pretty much A&R Trey Song's first three albums, even though you were the manager. We clear that you developed K. Michelle and now she's part of Atlantic Records. And, you and I, you know, at that point, I, I'm the only one who got a gold record on K. Michelle from putting together a record. It was like, you should come work for us. And that was my first official A&R job at Atlantic Records. So for me, it was pretty cool. It was like graduating from a high school and then coming back, becoming a teacher, right? Like you, you got raised, you was in this high school and now I'm sitting back in the same classroom where I used to crack jokes in and now I'm telling you to be quiet or listen to me. So that was like these weird moments of, ah, you don't know how to manage, you're getting on my nerves. And it's just like, ah, okay, here we go. So um, that was really dope. So I figured it was almost like getting a master's degree in music at this point because I got the rare opportunity to perform on two different levels and the work outside and the work inside. And that is how A&R started for me. So at Atlantic and how I got the Empire came, there was a guy, he was sitting there, tall, weird looking guy. And he was like, oh, this is Gazi. Yes, right. I said weird Gazi. Uh, and we, we were both weird, honestly. So we sat in this room and me and him talk about this story all the time. And when we was in the room, Gazi just seemed like a really pure spirit, right? So I was like, I was like, okay, Gazi. All right, let me test to see if this guy's pure. I said, this is what we're going to do, guys. This probably was the first or second time I saw him. And I said, what we're going to do when everybody talk, we're going to text each other. And I said, have you seen Harry Potter? He said, yeah, I've seen it. I said, okay. So every time somebody's going to speak, we're going to put the hat on each person who's speaking in the room. It was 30 people. And we're going to text each other, Gryffindor for Slytherin. Right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. And he absolutely loved it. And we would go through and he'll be like, uh, Chris, and I was like, nah, Slytherin. He was like, hey, I was like, Slytherin, sorcery, blah, blah, blah. So we went around and that's how me and Gazi became really cool. And, and, um, Amazing. Uh, that's how we became cool and we would eat we, every time he would come we would hang out and um, you know Gazi was this this guy who came in who had this great distribution company that I understood at the time that I, I understood two things either they wanted Gazi to be the new heir of Craig Kalman eventually if they can control him which I don't think was a bad deal it just depends on what you want out of life I had the opportunity to meet Armin Ernigan and have deep conversations with him in his office and have wine tastings. And I, I, I pushed that relationship with Armin. So I kind of know from Armin's mouth why Craig was the successor and who he wants Craig to, you know, to succeed him. And it's really about the music and a really good guy that really cares about the music and the culture in a weird way. Like the, 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 sitting with Armin was crazy. So I understand why he groom Craig and I think Craig was trying to look at that for Gazi but Gazi at the time and just listening to him and this guy is like ownership ownership so Gazi's thing is like I'm not trying to lead Ahmet's dream like Craig did I want my own Atlantic which would be Empire so I think that's where the um at the time I think that's just where the disconnect was like you know like I'm not trying to fold my company you know and do this because Craig is eventually Craig is a great guy remember he had big beat which was like house music and a couple of things. And it did hip hop. And then he folded his label into Atlantic and became the chairman. Yeah. 
You see what I mean? So I, I think guys knew right away that's not what I'm trying to do. So uh, it's funny when I left Atlantic, Gazi was like, he's telling me, you're gonna we're gonna work together one day. So when I left, he was like, hey, you know, come work with me. And uh, I don't have I'm, I'm building an A&R staff and so much. I don't know if I really got learned sitting in those A&R meetings. I guess he realized that A&Ring from his perspective was totally different. You know what I mean? Because here's a guy who's never worked really besides Ingrews. He's never worked inside a major system to see what it looks like. You only know it from the engineering standpoint or distribution standpoint. So, and that's what kind of um, caused our quest. And I told Ghazi, I introduced him to Mo. I said, you need to meet Mo Landing. He's the head of radio here. He could help change your life, use his experience. I introduced him to Bobby. And that's how Bobby ended up uh, with his connection with Ghazi. We would all go eat at the A&R meeting. So that's kind of what started that part, you know, with, uh, with, with, and that's how I ended up at Empire. And that's how I'm here. Well, I hope you all enjoyed the first in this three-part mini-series about A&R. Tune in next week to hear more about what it takes to be a great A&R manager. So thank you for listening. I welcome all feedback, comments, and suggestions for future shows. My Twitter handle is at Alex Branson, or head to the website, which is www.abcmusic.co, and you'll find a contacts page there with my email address on.